Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. Are you ready to tackle George Harrison's first recorded output for the Beatles? Oh, yes. Yes, although I suppose we should, in the interest of, of fairness and consistency, say, nah, go away. Not interested. Really not interested. <laughs> it's, um... Yeah, it's uh, Don't Bother Me this week, uh, so I suppose that's uh, kind of what we have to talk about. Now, we've mentioned in previous episodes of the podcast that the album has got off to pretty, yeah, pretty strong, pretty strong start, I think it'd be fair to say. We are three for three uh, in terms of the quality of the track, so the big question is, does Don't Bother Me keep up its end of the deal? Does it keep the quality of the album running? Go on, what do you think? Right. So in the interest of uh, full disclosure, I should say that um, I thought we were recording this a week ago. So I've actually had an extra week to listen to this song. And quite annoyingly, in that time, it's I found it's no longer quite as dull and as irritating as I used to think it was. However, I used to think it was really dull and really irritating. So it's only kind of sort of lessened that as it were and I can now see that there's um there's a little bit more to it um than just a whiny nasal vocal and rather naive melody yeah um that's that's definitely an opinion I'm not going to argue with particularly <laughs> start with a bang yeah absolutely um I I kind of I'm slightly coming from the same position. We were talking sort of off air, and we have done a couple of times uh, prior to recording this episode about the fact that we were going to have to tackle this song at some point, and neither of us were particularly looking forward to it. I think that would be uh, fair to say. Yeah, yeah. But I, mean, um, I ended up, but, but, I ended up not disliking it all that. Maybe it's lowered expectations, or maybe it's yeah. it's something else. I don't know. I, I it, it's not a great highlight of the album or anything but it's a bit better than i thought it was yeah and let's face it we've still got things like devil in our heart to come and and even dare i say it really quite irritating hold me tight oh, yeah. um, which is which is quite irritating and hey fans i haven't even mentioned future albums mr moonlight yet which is of course the piece de resistance um uh, uh, now, now you warned me about French last time out, so I really have to pull you up on your <laughs> your use of that. Sorry. Ah, uh, consistency. Um, oh, I don't know. To, to me, it sounds a little bit like um, early Rolling Stones or early Kinks, which you know isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, and, and in fact, if if anything, the the band that that this most reminded me of. The band, though, I think would have been perfect playing this because it would have had a completely different feel to it. The Monkeys. I can absolutely hear the Monkeys doing this mid-episode with perhaps, you know, Davy Jones has been, um, you know, he's fallen in love with some European princess and they've, they've been, um, you know, bugged by, you know, the king. Um, and he's just like, oh, don't bother me. All I want to do is just kind of love this person. Don't bother me. Go away. And it would just fit perfectly. And also have a much more kind of happy, positive vibe to it than it does from George. Yeah, I mean, that's the word that people use about this song and a lot of George's songwriting in general is sour. And there is a sourness to this. There's there's no doubt about it. And and particularly that really heavy double-tracked vocal. It's really, it, it, it almost 
you can almost physically feel the pressure from it. I think it's interesting that you sort of mentioned like the kinks or something like that there, because I mean, it's not, this isn't as heavy a recording as um, kind of early kinks, particularly sort of um, all day and all of the night, or you really got me, or, or notice will be heavier than this. But, but there's, there's that, that kind of pressure is definitely there. There's, there's an exertion. And if there's a, a sense in which this song is successful, I think I would probably argue that it's successful in the way that it very directly and clearly manages to communicate what it's actually about in the production. So the lyric is sort of fairly, um, fairly self-explanatory. I don't think there's a lot of necessary, you know, work to be dug, dug into there. But, but, but mm. musically, it, that pressure is really kind of reinforcing this. God, just piss off already, kind of, kind of feeling. So, in in that sense, it's a successful yeah. song. Whether that makes it something you want to listen to, well, that might be a slightly different question. But it is definitely successful in what it's setting out to do. And it, and it is one of those songs that, um, you know, when you listen to it in isolation, you know, whiny, moany, um, sour. Then when you add in a little bit of um, um, my old favourite, the you know, context you can sort of see that actually remember this is where Lennon McCartney were say 18 months ago with their songwriting, you know, so George is kind of making up ground and they've got a head start. They've had, you know, significantly more songs recorded and released up to this point. Um, he's just getting started. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I wonder it's, it's not quite as, as crafted um, that the melody is not quite as, as smooth in terms of transitions it's a very choppy song isn't it yeah um, very in much terms so. of um and and you know he'll get there he will get there but i, I do i do wonder i mean you, you do i think people have tried to reassess george harrison a bit too much and that they they try to reassess him in relation to to the others it's almost as though you're in a situation where you know the obvious thing is to say oh well you know um, John Lennon was a genius. Paul McCartney was a genius. Um, however, you know, and, and, and those are right. They're the right answers because they are. But then there's a tendency for people to try and say, oh, yeah, but, but George was better. And I almost feel as though they're trying a bit too hard to have a, an opinion. Um, because actually an awful lot of his songwriting does come across as being quite miserable. And yet people say, well, he was spiritual. He was so happy and, you know, lighthearted. Was he really? I mean, I think if you're going to, uh, you know, there, I think there's probably an inherent contradiction at the heart of George Harrison. And it is that he eventually develops into this kind of spiritual uh, individual. He has this kind of whole um, Hare Krishna thing, obviously. Um, but at the same time, there is still this this well of kind of, bitterness which is in there yeah. and that never that contradiction never really goes away and I think that might be one of the things that people respond to is one of the things I find quite interesting about his solo career is that it does have this um, really weird kind of um, fault line that runs through it whereas you know he can write the, you know like um, you know uh, all these I mean I suppose if you're going to go for um, spiritual songs we I think we know which plagiaristic classic is going to be top of the list if you're if you're talking about those uh, those kind of tracks but if you do take something like My Sweet Lord I mean you know that's happy that's cheery that's up tempo um, but you know I mean I mean, you know, all things must pass as well as I do. It's riddled with songs which are just not 
not you know sunshine and bunnies and unicorns and rainbows it's it's yeah. it's a weird contradiction but but you know at the same time you know he he can be seen as an interesting individual because he isn't presenting a, a unified front because there is this fault line that runs through his songwriting i think interesting is the is the key word there um because i think if you step back and and analyze I'm going to say objectively, it's impossible. You can't do it objectively. And, and it's obviously a subjective opinion on my part. Then there are, there are, there are flaws and there are things that, that kind of hold it back from being something, um, you know, let's, let's take, for example, you know, all things must pass is a phenomenal album in the main. It's a phenomenal album, despite the fact I just don't like the sound of that guitar. That you know that that guitar sound that he had from say I don't know sixty eight through to about seventy three seventy four, it is unique. It is distinctly George Harrison, and actually, it's kind of like his voice. It's it's a little bit. I want to say whiny, nasally. How, how do you get a nasally guitar? And then when you get towards the latter stages of his solo career, admittedly, we're only talking about two albums, but also the Wilburys and, and stuff like that, you then get the Jeff Lynne effect. And, you know, that's not a universally popular uh, sound. Uh, well, that's the, because that's because Jeff Lynne has the ability to make every single thing he produces sound exactly the same. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would very much agree that is not a universally beloved sound. So there's 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 quite a lot there, um, and the the more you look, the more songs there are where he's just seems seemingly basically complaining about the fact he never got his way in the Beatles. Okay, all right, good, but you made a ton of money out of it. Well done. Yeah, I mean, it, he's he's one of those songwriters that if you if you take, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that if you have uh, a point of comparison with Lennon and McCartney, they've got a good. 18 months to two years jump on them so the question is what song would don't bother me kind of be alongside in, in their kind of writing i mean they sort of like love me do or ps i love you those kind of song maybe a little earlier maybe kind of one after 909 that kind of that kind of range maybe a wee bit later than that but you know it, it's it's that kind of range of material that that's that's sort of there and it's not uh, yeah. I, I really like one after nine on nine actually. Anyway, that's a different story. Um but yeah, no, this, that's that's the point. See, I'd be tempted to go with, with something more like misery. Oh god. Yeah, okay. Well yeah, I certainly the same the same sourness there. There's 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 no arguing with that. But this but just, I, just bear in mind bear in mind where we think misery is compared to say where, I don't know, let's just say Penny Lane is or Strawberry Fields or you know any one of the of the, the, the stellar Lennon McCartney songs but then think about where Don't Bother Me is um, in comparison to I don't know While My Guitar Gently Weeps for example um, you know the gulf is just enormous. I'd like to point out that when it comes to Misery it is the lowest score I have given any song that we have covered so far. I did it, see that. And and it's your lowest equal with uh, a taste of honey. Yep. So that's that's yep. the kind of range we're talking about there. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, I I like I mentioned the the kind of that sort of oppressive production. I do quite like the fact that it is able to kind of 
render itself in that way. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my usual uh, Ringo praise now because I think Ringo's okay. really putting in a, a, in a lot of work here. I think he's uh, of the of the remaining three members of the band. I think he's probably the only one that is. I don't think anybody else is really overexerting themselves in any way, shape, or form. But Ringo's making like a solid effort here. He's he's got that um, slight Latiny feel to it. It's got a, a good kind of solid anchor. And it's one of those songs that I, I, I know that we'll talk about this a bit later on, but it's a shame, I think, maybe that it was never done live properly because mm-hmm. it's one that I think would be quite effective because all it really, like Ringo's drums really batter their way through this song and you can kind of plonk the vocal down on top of that and you're kind of away. And particularly in the in the, the sort of screaming gig days, I think you could probably do something relatively effective with that if it had ever become a live number. Now that's not the that's not the fate that this song is going to go on and have, but I think a lot of that is is down to that really kind of heavy battering um, production work, uh, sorry, uh, drumming that Ringo is doing uh, in the background. But it's also got the stops just before we fade into the uh, just before we hit the chorus rather, and that that's, true. that's starting to give it a bit of drama. That's starting to help the song punch above its weight so you i think i think it probably does suffer from the fact that it's also an underdeveloped underdeveloped song i I think according to um i think it was ian mcdonald book was saying this was recorded like fortnight after it was written and you can tell because it's it's a very unevolved piece of music but you can see that ringo is yeah we've uh, spoken about before haven't we about you know the, the 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 shortness of the gap often between recording and and uh, in between writing and recording means it's not mature enough to have really properly developed. Exactly, but you can see where that development might come from, and I think it's Ringo's work that most often shows that up. I think if there would be more time invested to it, I think particularly uh, McCartney's bass is not particularly impressive here, but if he had invested a bit more time in the rhythm section of the band, had really locked in, again, I think it would be helping to this song to punch a bit above its weight. But it, it, it's a, I, I suppose it's a good demonstrator of what a difference that extra work can make and that extra time to, to develop it. And again, like even if, it had, even if that time had been put in on stage rather than in the studio or, or you know, eye, eyeball to eyeball or whatever, it would it would still reap the benefits. So I guess um, um, I did have two things. I might, I might have forgotten one of them. Um, there is that, that sense that actually George was, was given particular songs to sing, wasn't he? There were some covers that he sang very, very regularly. So, you know, he had, those were his entries um, in terms of the, uh, um, the live set. You know, so it'd be interesting then to, to have a look and see which songs it it was of his that that started to to work their way into the set, if any, before they they finally stopped playing. Um, but also, um, I suppose the the other thing in terms of consistency, in in terms of what you said a moment ago, is that I have previously said that I am a big fan of silence in pop music. So the fact that there are those little pauses in there is actually something I, I should actually just sort of hold my hands up and go, yeah, fair enough. Well done. That works for me. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I have I have said I, I admire that sort of thing before. So the bravery to do that here. OK, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. Excellent. Well done. I, I, I commend your bravery. That's, that's extremely mature of you to say that. But it's good. It's, you know, it's proper. It's proper, <laughs> it's proper yeah, musical punctuation. 
haunting me on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll never escape it now. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's good. It's musical pronunciation, uh, musical punctuation, and it, it it does make a difference to the song. I I, I also think um, I mean like George's vocal on the last album was uh, "Do You Want to Know Secret?" Not a standout of "Please Please Me" particularly. I think it's fair to say, but it's I, this is this. I like this again. It does show this is a better vocal performance. It's certainly it's certainly a more directed vocal performance. It's one where the, the the vocal that he has in "Do You Want to Know Secret" is kind of very light and kind of throwaway and fluffy. Whereas again, yeah. this this vocal is it it is dour. It is you know self serious. But that's what the lyric is calling for. So fine, it works. So in that sense, it's a better vocal performance. The 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 thing that I think really trips up this song is the guitar solo which is so cack-handed um <laughs> it's really really it just it i don't understand why it wasn't recorded in an overdub but uh it's really bad in a way so that bad. it's in a way that it's sort of you just don't really expect that in a Beatles song and it's it's uh, particularly from somebody like George it's you know he's usually he could turn up do his Chet Atkins thing go away again but it somehow slightly fails him here and it uh, maybe it's because maybe it is maybe that actually maybe that's Ringo's fault because he's not doing a kind of Chet Atkinsy kind of rhythm he's got this slightly latin thing going on and so the, the guitar solo doesn't quite fit with what the rest of the song is doing but whatever the reason for it is it it's not good Possibly another another one of those time things of, of just knocking something out, not yeah, living, yeah. not particularly living with the song. Um, yeah, well, you know, um, he'll get better. He yeah. will get better. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's still. I mean, you know, a kid. Let's let's remember. You know, when we were growing up, of, of course, there is that thing that um, you know they all seemed incredibly old, even though they were. You know, in early 80s, they were what um, early 40s, late 30s. You know, so they're they're still babies at this point, and still inexperienced despite all their playing. Um, so you know, it, it's fine. You know, I'll 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 cut him a bit of slack, and I'm sure he'll be very very grateful for that. Um, but you know, it's uh, a stepping stone, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is, and you know, he'll go on to be. I mean, it's I don't know if prolific is the word, but you know he'll go on to knock out album after album. But there's going to be a pause. I don't think he writes another song until 1965, so there's going to be a big pause between this and us having to talk about a George Harrison song again. So I mean, there'll be vocals that he does, but I don't think he writes anything again until 1965. But obviously, once we get sort of post Beatles, well, obviously you have all things must pass, but a lot of that is stuff he's built up. But then he goes on. I mean, he re- he releases uh, six albums in the seventies, which uh, Lennon released seven um, from uh, nineteen seventy to nineteen eighty, and uh, McCartney released nine if you include McCartney and Ram plus all the Wings albums, or 10 if you also include McCartney 2, which was 1980. So, I mean, he's not quite keeping pace with the rest of them, but there's not, yeah, it's only one between him and Lennon. So, and, you know, one thing one thing you can say about McCartney is, uh, you know, prolific is exactly the word. So he's not doing too bad in terms of his ability to yeah. eventually start writing, you know, consistently. But I suppose... You know what I'm then trying to work out is where those those post Beatles career highlights were, and let's let's take out all things must pass because that is, you know, that is unique. 
especially bearing in mind how many of those songs were written during the lifetime of the Beatles. And he effectively then had the challenge of writing something good enough to potentially be considered to be a Beatles track. And I almost feel that that once he's outside of, of that situation, you then end up with something that's a little bit more kind of, well, less competitive, a, um, a little bit less distinct. And, you know, you can go through an awful lot of the solo albums that follow and you can listen to some of them and you're like, give me love, give me peace on earth. It's all right. It's okay. It's not great. There's a couple of parts in that where you've got some interesting changes. Um, I was listening to some of Dark Horse um, earlier today and, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. Quite like the title track. Um, that's okay. And there was another one on there that I thought was, was pretty... Um, pretty good um, oh ding dong ding dong quite like that so the impressive thing about that song is is that despite that thing about the the lyrical limitations uh, melodically it's really really interesting and and because it's so limited in in words it has to be interesting otherwise it just doesn't work by the way i think it's that one it's got a really really interesting video that um includes rather bizarrely i'm pretty sure it's that one um, George Harrison at one stage in some fur-lined boots and a guitar and wearing nothing else. Um, um, worth a little look. He made some really dodgy videos, by the way. They're they're really, really, truly awful. Um, but then, you know, if you just sort of roll back to, um, you know, All Things Must Pass, there's some, some amazing work on there um, in general. Even when it's really bitter, you know, the musical ideas in, say, Wawa, uh, is just phenomenal. Oh, wow, Absolutely. such a brilliant song. It's so, oh, yeah. man, I love Wow. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's just slightly indulgent, but you can understand why he's he's letting it all out. The, just the, the problem that I have with the rest of it is where's his maybe I'm amazed, you know? And, and again, it goes back to then what we were talking about in terms of, you know, the low of misery compared to, um, I don't know, Hey Jude or something, and the, the the comparative low of Don't Bother Me to, I suppose, My Sweet Lord or, or Wah Wah. But I think McCartney's got more of those sort of like top level songs and he's been able to pull them out over the years than, than Harrison has. Not that it should be a competition, but all of those people who, who you know, have reappraised Harrison to the point where they've they've had to pull down the others. I just think uh um oh what's the word I'm looking for? Um wrong. Okay, yeah, that's that's one word for it. I think it's also one of those things that when uh any piece of art is going to be kind of appraised or sort of judged, and especially when it comes to something which is such a sort of so culturally totemic like like the Beatles, there are different sort of waves of sort of critical analysis which come through so I think a lot of that kind of early um, sort of analysis of the Beatles and I'm thinking sort of that would have come out in the 70s when you know all three of them were really being sort of pilloried for producing subpar material um, you know um, the, you know give or, give or take and imagine or all things must pass to abandon the run but most of them were being you know, pretty heavily slated. But during that time, there was still that sort of first first wave sort of critical appraisal of the Beatles was, you know, well, of course, 
McCartney and Lennon are geniuses. The other two are certainly in the band and contribute, but you know they, they're not in any way you know on a comparable level. However, as you start to reach maybe sort of the second wave of critical appraisal or the third wave of critical appraisal, it's it's inevitable that I mean with any again I suppose with any piece of art like music, um, you know once you've kind of burned through discussing everything that Lennon and McCartney have done, well what else does that leave you? Well, okay. Let's turn to Harrison. Let's see what his songwriting was like. Let's see what his guitar playing was like. Let's see what he contributed to the band. And so you, you kind of hit that, yeah, that second or third wave critical reappraisal where you start to examine the, the, uh, the lesser interrogated parts of, of what were put together. I think some of that, um, is kind of a second or third wave is probably kind of the, the sort of, Ian McDonald, um, you know, Revolution in the Head kind of comes from that wave. He's he's noticeably down on George Harrison. He's not a big uh, yeah. Harrison fan, but you can tell that it's something which has at least been appropriately recontextualized, let's say. Then you get the next kind of wave and you suddenly get this huge flood of kind of Beatles books, which uh, sort of post-date Revolution in the Head, which is still really going on. So if you want to call that either sort of third or fourth wave, sort of critical reappraisal. And I think it's a lot of that material where this kind of um, maybe slight over-representation of George Harrison comes from. And it is, again, I think that idea of diving into the bits of the band which just aren't going to be as... Uh, straightforwardly uh, accessible, I suppose, as as the much better known sort of Lennon-McCartney stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if, um, um, this is going to be incredibly unkind, but, you know, maybe there'll be a critical reappraisal one day of uh, Sir Alec Douglas Hume or John Major or Gordon Brown in the same way that George Harrison has been uh, uh, reappraised, you know, one, one of those more, I wouldn't say minor figures, because again, that is being incredibly reductive. Obviously, his his role is very, very important. But, you know, some people seem to be given more, more chances than others. You know, it's it's easier to, to overlook really crappy parts um, that, that someone recorded. And we do that sometimes, don't we? we don't we? we? Where we ignore the, um, you know, the shaved fish in, in order to to be able to to lord the parts that, that that we like, rather than looking at the whole, and I think the whole of Harrison is actually really fascinating. I mean, he sings out of the corner of his mouth. He he, he looks awkward and uncomfortable most of the time, and yet when he's playing the guitar, he does send, tend to seem a little bit freer and looser. Um, you know, he likes particular guitar sounds that really work for him as he goes through the career. He knows what he can do. And if you listen to him talk about how he he wrote songs, it's almost like he doesn't know how he's done it. He's just saying, well, I just sort of came up with some notes. It sounded good and we went with it. So he's, he's a really fascinating character who, you know, don't get me wrong. It sounds like I'm being a bit, a bit hard on him. I mean, he has produced some absolutely amazing music. I just think that maybe... Um, He's a bit too lionized um, at times. It's it is that overcompensation, isn't it? Um, and you know that's fine. That's fine. It's it's going to be subjective, um, you know. And everyone's forgotten about the yogic flying uh, from the Natural Law Party and that sort of thing. Um, so you know he's not he's not the joke figure that he was at some point in the mid eighties as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, 
he lived he lived um, a relatively well, actually wasn't really that long a life but a relatively long life and he did lots in it um and and i suppose actually there's the contradiction between wanting to be a very private person and yet inevitably being a very public person so and and what we should have done is heed his words and handled him with care wow that's a lovely sentiment absolutely um yeah i love handled care such a great song Anyway, that's... But interesting, isn't it? We don't bother me to handle with care. You know, oh, there's, yeah. there's, there's, a, lyrically, there's, there's a bit of a theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, you said he produced some great music, which I completely agree with, and Gontropo. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's that's fine. You know, we've 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 all got a Gontropo in us somewhere, unfortunately. Um, would that we all had <laughs> would that we all had an all things must pass. Um, yeah, it's I, I sort of. I went on a huge George Harrison kick, I think, in my sort of mid to late twenties, um, and all of those albums are—they've are, all got something on them that's worthwhile. But but uh, well, uh, all right, maybe not Gone Trouble, but almost all of them have something on them which are are worthwhile. But there's a lot of there's a lot of um, you mentioned a lack of discipline before, a lack of competitiveness. Um, mm. And I'm kind of resistant to the idea that that it's necessary to have competitiveness in order to produce good work because I don't think that's true. But I think it is true in the case of some people, and um, and there is a slackness about a lot of those albums. There isn't. I mean, again, if you put all things must pass to one side, there isn't a, an absolute knockout in his back catalogue. The, I, and you know, I, I I really like Cloud Nine. I think Cloud Nine is a terrific album. Um, yeah. I really like um, Living the Material World. I think it's a very good album. Um, there are bits of Dark Horse which are good, bits of Thirty Three and a Third which are good. Um, but it's it's all you know. You could put together a comprehensive playlist without having to overstretch yourself. I think it'd be fair to say. Yeah. But then, I mean, you could do that. I mean, bearing in mind we're talking about a Beatle here. I mean, you could do that for, say, um, you know, the last three or four albums of, of R.E.M. and come up with um, a Stone Cold classic, mostly because what you're doing is you're ignoring the really kind of bland, underwritten bits. You know, it's fine. You can do that. Um, but I, what I find interesting is, is it, again, it's just go back to some of the, the things people say. So I, I was reading a, an album-by-album album appraisal on, I, I don't, you know the website tidal.com and it says of um 33 and a third an, an album of joy charm and pure melody and then it talks about ending on a beautiful and jazzy note with the blissful and heartfelt soul composition learning how to love you a track that beatles author robert rodriguez described as perhaps parison's finest pure love song since since something and then i listened to it and i just thought it's rubbish it's <laughs> not very good it's i mean it might well be heartfelt it's not very soulful yeah i wouldn't really say it's very jazzy it's it's kind of like a bland ballad where is this charm and pure melody um and on one of the previous albums there was um a song that was meant to be um you know a sequel to um while my guitar gently weeps this guitar can't keep from crying Okay, it's it's not in the same ballpark. No, he did that it's a couple of times. Here comes the moon as well, which is is not. Yeah, it's well, it's just not. 
It's not a terrible. It's not a terrible song in its own right. But if you're going to invoke the image of something which people already think is a Stone Cold classic, you have to at least hit the same standard. Um, you know, and and uh, I, mean, I suppose McCartney maybe did the same thing with Blackbird and Bluebird on Band in the Run. And Bluebird's a charming little song. It's not in Blackbird's League, but it's it's charming enough. So it's not a sin that. Um, is unique to to George Harrison, but yeah, he does do it a few times in his career. He writes he's simply yeah. shady. He also, uh, yeah, it's it's not and, it's not fabulous. And and I think I I, I kind of have to stop myself sometimes because I think at this point what I'm doing is I'm judging the the writing about him more than I'm judging his him. songs. Yeah, yeah, it's and, not. And, he and, never said it was cool. a Stone Cold classic. Someone else said it on his behalf. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what it is is. You know, it's it's decent music. It's really good. Some people really like it. Um, you know, but I need to stop getting focused on the fact that some people like it a lot more than I think they should, and just go, "Well done, George. Good work there." Yeah, yeah. With those with those opinions, they 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 really shouldn't bother you. Which I suppose slightly loops us back around to the song we're we're ostensibly talking about, and and um, we should probably give it a score, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've mentioned misery a lot, and I, I gave misery, misery my lowest score so far, along with a taste of honey. Um, you know, it's it's sort of in around there. And do you want to know a secret? Chains, Anna. You know, it's it's that kind of of level for me. Um, you know, it's certainly not. You know, alongside. Um, you know, so you know. Obviously, this is all very subjective. The scoring system, you know, I'll moan about it till the day we finish this. Okay. But say, for example, I've given, I've given sixes to It Won't Be Long and I saw her standing there. Well, it can't possibly get sixes. Is it even one away from that? Yeah, I don't think so. So I'm just going to be mean and say it's a four. It's a four. Okay. You, yeah, yeah. You're just going to have to live with my, uh, my harshness on here. Well, that's 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 fair enough. Um, it's a it's a tough one because I I, I get, like I said I, maybe it's just the burden of Lord Lord expectations, but I didn't I didn't dislike it as much as I was expecting to coming into it. But I also don't think that it's um, in any way a phenomenal piece of work or or some great underrated classic. It's definitely a song which you can feel somebody learning how to do the thing that they haven't quite learned how to do yet and that's I suppose not the most unforgivable sin in the world but at the same time it's difficult to rate it as anything it's actually something I didn't mention earlier on when we were talking about it but that double tracked vocal is you can really hear that it's manually double tracked because he does struggle in a few places to get yeah, I think there's a couple of points where the the lyrics slip slightly, so the words don't quite match on both lines of the vocal, and little bits and pieces like that. It's slightly—I don't want to say amateurish, but it's not—it's not certainly not polished. I think it'd be fair to say. Oh, I don't know. I'm just prevaricating now, aren't I? I should probably just give it a think of a number between four and six. Uh, five I and a half. What... I think I'm going to give it five and a half. <laughs> a whole number. <laughs> no, I'm giving it five and a half, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, you can edit the spreadsheet, but this is recorded, so it won't help. No, I'm going to give it a five and a half. And you normally ask me to justify my half points. 
So my justification for the half point is that's what I think. That's okay. You you do that. Well justified, sir. I um I'll leave you to that. <laughs> no, it should just be a five, right? Okay, I'm giving it a five. I've changed my mind. Five. Done. Right. I think we are done. I think we are <laughs> on that bombshell. On that absolute revelatory score, I think we can probably wrap it up there for now. You can contact us by email. We are beetlestuffology at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find more of my writing about TV, movies, and just a whole bunch of other stuff at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find the show. Next episode, we will be carrying on through with the Beatles, which means we have Little Child. And of course, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.